Thank you for pressing start on episode 45 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games followed by a review of our featured game, The Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my best friend, playing games that he recommends. He's the biggest fan of Mega Man, flipping phones after smartphones began. I'm talking about the late night streaming, secret game scheming, Everyone say hola to Disco Cola. What is going on? Oh, snorp, thought Disco, as Popo asked him the same question he'd been asked dozens of times before. And even though Disco is not surprised, neither is Popo. You see, it had been more than a month since Underplayed had last recorded an episode. And even though Disco had been present for dozens of episodes of Underplayed before... Disco often came unprepared for adding a cheeky reference to the episode's featured game. So instead, he said this. I'm I'm okay, Bopo. I'm feeling a little lost, so I'm ready for you to guide me through this episode. How are you? In this moment, Bopo considered his friendship with Disco Cola and all he was thankful for, and suddenly felt a strong feeling of elation. He felt as though he might exclaim, I'm doing just fine, my silent protagonist. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) Those are references to our featured game, The Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Uh, This is season five of Underplayed, an indie game review show. I know that was probably a very disorienting intro for many of you, uh, but we're so happy you're here and we're so happy to be back for another season of our show. Um, since this is a new season of Underplayed, Disco Cola, let's talk about how the show works. What is an average episode like of yeah, Underplayed? Yeah, let's talk about Underplayed. So in a singular episode of Underplayed, uh, we both feature one game and that's the game that will receive like the title card so in this instance it is the stanley parable ultra deluxe and these are usually indie games that are of uh higher no- notoriety yeah, more, than, more, than your average more popularity and prestige maybe yeah and so both of us will play that but before we recap and review that game both of us have in private played and prepared to talk about uh, another indie video game that these are not on our list of approved uh, higher vetted games. And uh, we don't tell each other about it until the recording. So Bopo's played an indie game that I don't know about, and I've played one that he hopefully doesn't know about. And uh, we'll review those ahead of our Stanley Parable review. And that's how Underplayed works, and we we call those other two indie games our secret games. Yes, and they're secret just for the novelty experience of me playing something that Disco Cola doesn't know about and him doing the same for me. Uh, just you will probably know what the games are based on the name of the episode, yeah. and you know <laughs> we don't care. No, I'm just <laughs> it's just kind of more fun that way for us in the moment. Um, 
And uh, yeah, we have 10 normal episodes each season. Uh, so we play a total of 30 games yeah. between our secret games and our featured games in each season. And then we will do an 11th episode every season where we look back and reflect on those games we played. And then we have a section at the end of that episode where we plan the lineup of featured games for the next season. So I guess secret games are kind of for the people that listen to that recap and review episode because they know months in advance what our featured games are. Yeah. But they don't know until the day of the episode True. what the secret game is. Right. Um, so, yeah, no matter where you jump on, I think you're probably good listening to Underplayed at any point. I'd say this is a great jumping on point for the podcast since it's the start of season five. Um, so if you're listening to this episode, I would suggest, you know, listen to episode 46 and so on until you get to our uh, season five finale. I think that'll be a fun adventure for you, or at least I hope it is. Hope so. Hope so. Um, but yeah, we're, we're again, we're just so glad you're here listening to us because we did take a, it seems like an ever decreasing amount of- somehow time between seasons we will now talk about what we played between seasons and i just wanted to ask what did you play during the break disco cola i am so happy to tell you i i didn't play you know i overpromised, um kind of but uh one of the things i did was i got the last trophy in limbo on both ps3 and ps4 editions oh my goodness uh so that's like that's like a 14 year long you know, <laughs> trophy journey with the PS3 version. Yeah. So on PSN Profiles, which is a website we both use for trophies a lot, if you go to Disco Cola's profile, it will now say <laughs> that there's that big of a gap. Yeah, between... completed in 12 years and two months <laughs> is how long it took. That's me. so long. It's so long. I think my longest is for Infamous uh-huh. because back in the day I played Infamous when it first came out. But I uh, I didn't get all the blast shards. I found all of them except one. Oh yeah, that and wasn't then, too long ago. And then I went around way back in the day and tried to find that last one and never could find it. And then a few years ago, when I kind of switched from maining on PC to then maining on PlayStation, that was one of the first games I returned to. And I printed out a map <laughs> and I scratched out all of the all all the blast shards on that map and I did get the platinum in that just because of that one collection trophy. Yeah. So my gap on that one is over a decade. Yeah. yeah. It's it's rough. I I what I did was I waited until the end of the game. I didn't collect any of them because as long as you're like collecting them one after another after another, there's usually one that you can like see in the distance from the one you've just collected. Right. So I That's usually, such a smart way to do it. it and like made the rest of the game so miserable. That, but that was so ahead of your time as a trophy hunter. Thank like you. Like you probably didn't even realize I, I the strats that. you would use <laughs> in your life like that, but you did it. But yeah. So I'm done with limbo. I'm probably not gonna go back to it. I'm not craving like a PS5 go around again unless they release a physical edition that has that and inside and oh. a new game. Yeah, I don't think there's a PS5 version. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm done with that. And just um, for context, that last trophy you had to get on both platforms was finishing the game in one sitting with five or less deaths. Yes. Which is very intense. Rough. And I've done that too on PC and PS4. It is uh, a playthrough that requires lots of rehearsal, like yep. we talked about in the Limbo episode last season. So yeah. if you want to hear more about uh, the, our struggles of getting all the trophies in that game, you can listen to the Limbo episode from season four. Um, I immediately followed Limbo up with Inside, which I had only kind of sort of played at one of our 
spooky game parties, which we'll have again this year. Nice. I didn't know you played Inside during yeah, the break. Cool. I, I finished that one, um, so I'll reserve my thoughts for that episode of Underplayed. Um, I got the last couple trophies in Abzu during a nap time. Nice. Um, so I finished that one. Uh, I finished getting the trophies in Gravity Circuit, so that means I've beat that game maybe like four times now. I think it's possible to get everything um, in two playthroughs of the game, but the handicaps that you kind of have to put on yourself uh, really make for a a bad time. So in my opinion, it's even faster to just do the four playthroughs. Yeah, that's that's kind of like... Hyperlight Drifter, yeah. or there's another game I can't remember. Momodora, maybe where you can like double up on some things. Yeah, one playthrough it just makes it but harder. it just makes it harder. Yeah. Yep. Um. So that was a platinum, and uh, now I don't remember if I had done this before our season finale, but I got the last three DLC trophies I needed in Cult of the Lamb. Nice. In my first save file, I had technically done everything that I needed for two of them, but they failed to trigger. And what that means is I had to start all the way over because these are like one-time event trophies. So if they don't trigger, that's it. Um, and it's not that they're missable. It's just that there is a glitch, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And they're like way, 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 way at the end of the DLC too. So I had, uh, I had to start all the way over, beat the whole game, and do pretty much all of the DLC again. Um, I did do it on easy mode, and that helped a lot, and it went a lot quicker. Um, and it's actually really fun to -hmm. do honestly um and i'm happy to report now that i have played through the game again that you can in fact sit in a point in the game where devotion does generate gold instead of devotion what you have to do uh, and i highly recommend this if you're a new player that is getting the dlc by default what you have to do is delay defeating the final boss of the base game so if you buy all of your devotion upgrades before you go beat the final boss of the base game, you can get that gold generated from from prayer. And so I highly recommend upgrading your cult to its maximum capacity before you go beat the final boss. Okay, so final boss is what triggers that change. Yep. We So yeah, we loved how we could just keep getting gold in the base game. Yeah. And so the thing was, when you started doing the DLC, you lost that. And it's yeah. like, oh, no, no, I can't just farm for that yeah. forever. Yeah. There is something in the DLC that does, like, take away a massive amount of your gold, like, pretty much right away. But uh, still worth it. Okay. It, you still are upgrading your cult very easily before then. Nice. Well, you got to finish up lots of, like, we call them 100% lists yeah. on PlayStation because they don't have platinums. So, like... You now have all the trophies in all these games, which is great. Yes, yes. So I got one, two platinums. No, just wait. Yeah, two platinums. One of them is for my secret game today, though. So ah. What else? Okay. So, Bopo, here's the, here's the special one. I played one of my many underplayed Jealous games. Oh, Ooh. can I guess? Uh, yes. Is it from season four? Yes. Did you tell me you were playing? No. Uh, I wanted it to be a surprise. Did you play... Um, oh, I remember your official Jealous game was Tangle Tower. Did you play Tangle Tower? I played Heckin' Tangle Tower. Heck yeah. Yeah. What, so, what's your brief review um, of Tangle Tower? So I loved it. I loved <laughs> Tangle Tower. Yes! I really loved like almost every single character with like two exceptions. The only characters that didn't really hold my interest were 
like Felix and Professor Pointer. Um, all of the character designs lived up to my expectations. I love the art style. And uh, even though like Sally and Grimoire come as like an inseparable pair, I do wish that I could like retroactively put Sally on my favorite characters list mm. from season four. Um, I love her so much. I wrote down some predictions uh, as I was going that I can share with you off air. Um, but what what I will say is that I halfway guessed the culprit, okay. uh, yet found myself surprised with a twist I didn't see coming. I don't feel like the motive for the murder in this case totally adds up in the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sort of learned that I kind of have a moderate distaste specifically for locked room whodunits namely because you have to suspend a little bit extra disbelief for how elaborate the murder method tends to be. You know, in whodunits, I tend to just like the suspense to lie more in the social dynamics and relationships of the Mm. suspects. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some puzzles that didn't quite click with me, so I did have to look one up, and I did have to look up one click point that I didn't realize was clickable, and it just sort of like had me at a standstill for a while. Yeah, you're locked at that point. Yeah, yeah. essentially, until you're like, oh, you have to trigger this dialogue because you clicked on the one part of the screen. Um, but overall, I really loved the game. I was excited to jump uh, back in when I wasn't playing it. And if I had played it for the show, I would have landed in the 8.5 or 9.0 list. Wow. And it is currently in my top 100. That's awesome. I oh love Tangle Tower. I'm so glad you played it. And I think you had really good intuition with just knowing that that's probably going to be the best Jealous game for you. And uh, even though my score was a little bit lower, I think we're aligned on a lot of thoughts on it. Yeah. I thought, you know, story-wise, the biggest leap for me was that motive. It feels like the motive was kind of cobbled together really quickly. And it also felt like a lot of overlapping or maybe underlapping background was happening at the same time, too, Mm -hmm. like with the history of the families. I feel like I was getting a lot of that information at once in like the last third of the game. Yeah. Um, did you kind of identify with that too? Okay. So yeah, but otherwise, yeah, I just ran into a few issues with puzzles here and there and like knowing what to click. Otherwise it was a really smooth experience and I just love the presentation, love the animation, love how it looks like a storybook. I love the squiggle vision stuff. Yeah. Yeah, That game is an easy recommendation. And in this case, like I know, I know that like character design and, and art style is doing a lot of the lifting for that score. Yeah. For sure. But and um, you you talked last season about how that's a huge yeah, factor exactly. for you. Yeah. But uh I still think it's a great game regardless. So Yeah, I do too. And it makes me curious to go back and play the other Grimoire games. Yeah, a little bit. Um there are I think at least two others before yeah. Tangle Tower, and they're working on another uh mystery game, which so. is fun. Well, since you did earn all those trophies, uh let me just give you a little celebratory uh, little thing here. Oh, hold on, let me just let me just stop. Uh, oh. uh wait a second. Oh. I don't think that was the right sound, was it? Um, uh, let me just, uh, oh, there we go. That's the one. That's the one that we want. Thank you. Yes. Uh, oh, you don't get that one, though. Ah, I Sorry. never get that one. No, I don't even know what that is. Oh, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I Bo-po. don't know what's happening. Bo-po, you're gifting me. I'm gifting you You're trophies. ruining the intrinsic value of collectibles. I know. I'm just ruining the economy of trophies. <laughs> I'm giving you award sounds from season six. Oh, Jesus. Jumping ahead. How about you, Bopo? What did you do over our break? Over our break, I got to play uh, not as many games as I would have liked, but again, our break wasn't as long. But at the end of season four, I think I mentioned I started Pikmin 1, and I finished Pikmin 1. I love Pikmin 1. Love Pikmin. This is so good. I knew for years 
decades technically, because this came out in 2001, that this would be my jam. And I just never played it, never played it on GameCube, never played it when it was ported as like a, like on the Wii on or the whatever, Wii, like a, yeah. whatever it was, Nintendo classics or Nintendo selects, whatever they called it on the Wii. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a very huge program thing that they did port wise, but they just ported it to switch along with Pikmin two. And uh, now I'm eager to try Pikmin 2, but I don't know when I'll have time, just at some point. Yep. But yeah, loved Pikmin 1. I love how kind of morbid it was with just you're defeating these creatures and then carrying their corpses back to your base. So like, I didn't (laughs) know that was a part of it. Um, And (laughs) yes, and I did reset my days a lot to make sure I didn't like lose hundreds of Pikmin in one day. And I feel like that's okay when you're just starting out and you don't realize oh yeah, these Pikmin can't swim, <laughs> you know, because I <laughs> lost dozens of them because I was trying to get them to cross a lake. And yeah. so I reset um, and I felt like that was good to sort of ease myself into this game where there is a time limit. It's not super strict, but there are 30 ship parts to collect and you have to collect them it in 30 stressful. days. Yep. It is a little stressful. And Pikmin 2 sort of takes that away. So that makes me even more interested to play the sequel. Yeah, um, when I, I played that. I played without a memory card the one time I played it. So really, yeah. Did you play it within like one day? No, I just left the game. Left it on. on. Okay, over several days. That would scare me so much. <laughs> You've told me so many stories about doing that with like your childhood gaming systems with your siblings. Yep, I would not be able to sleep probably. Uh, then I continued playing Diablo Four. Uh, this came out earlier in 2023, and uh, this is just like basically mindless crack (laughs) you know it's a game where it's a dungeon crawling game where you're running around killing thousands of monsters collecting loot going back to town seeing what you got salvaging and or selling things so that you can afford other things or maybe replacing what you're already equipping with something cool that you just found i just find that loop so addicting i always have since diablo 2 but i kind of burned out on Diablo 4. Like I was planning on doing all the season one content and getting like all the tier levels. I don't need to explain what it all means, but I was going to do all the season one stuff and I'm not going to make it in time before season one is done. Then I played Life is Strange 1, Heck yes. uh, which I, again, haven't played before. It's always been on my list of shame. And you play as this uh, student named Max at this really prestigious school where she's learning photography. And a lot of the game has to do with taking pictures um, and also sort of manipulating time. Max finds out she has this power where she can rewind time and make different choices, including what she says to people and what she does to people and how she interacts with the environment. And it's one of those games where you say or do something and you get a notification that what you just did will change the future or the past. Mm. And you can even go back and change one of those choices with your your time traveling ability. So your choices aren't always locked in, which gives you this freedom. And it might sound like, oh, that's too much agency for the player. But I was still conflicted with choices, even given that freedom. So I found that interesting and life is strange. Um, it starts as like this teen drama kind yeah. of, but it evolves into a mystery thriller, like really suspenseful story. I'd say the first like two chapters are really slow and I wasn't sure if it would really pick up, but then by like chapter four and five, it was doing things narratively that I haven't seen in uh, basically any other game. It was referencing things that I did way back in chapter one and two. 
So uh, lots of surprises there. Highly recommend that if you like sort of unique narrative experiences. And I'm, again, I want to go back to uh, the series and just try Life is Strange uh, Before the Storm and Life is Strange 2 and Life is Strange True Colors, the other games in the series. So I don't know when I'll do that, but I will. Lastly, I started two Switch games. Um, They're very well-known, huge Switch games. And the first one is Mario Kart 8. Never heard of it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, This is a game I feel like I've played at parties and stuff, but I have it. I just had never like played it by myself. So I just started playing, you know, against the computer on it. And that's all right. I think it's more fun to play against actual people. But I put real hours into this game that I actually own. So there you go. Then I started Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Yes, Um, that looks so good. It is so good. And it's like the combination of Mario Odyssey and like a classic Spyro game in ways that I didn't see coming. Stop talking. I say it reminds me of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I say it reminds me of Spyro just given the size of the sub areas and levels that you go into. Where in Spyro, you're in the overworld, you go into a level. And then Mm -hmm. you're kind of in that area. That's the idea of what's going on here. Mm. But then the spirit, the energy, the platforming feels like Odyssey. Looks like, yeah. So that marriage, that melange, if you will, (laughs) is very alluring and addicting to me. I love this game so far. And I've only done like the first area of levels, but I'll keep playing it when I can. I jumped back into like Metroid after having not played a single Metroid game for most of my life. Mm Mm-hmm. Happy to have done that, but the other like series I'd love to just dig into into the past is Kirby. I have Epic Yarn and I started it oh, briefly, but I, I haven't. That's dug the in. that's the one yeah. that I've played. Epic Yarn I've played on the Wii, and then the one I've heard amazing things about is Planet Robobot on the 3DS. I've heard which I have decent things about that, and that's that's a very digestible short game that I've heard it's like one of the best in the series. Cool. So I might get to that between seasons at some point. And he's cute. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And then we want to mention an appearance we made on a podcast called No Small Games. Hey, I've heard of them. I've heard of them too. Um, These are our best friends in podcasting. Uh, No Small Games is hosted by Cater Blossom and A Specific Egg. And they do indie game recaps and reviews like us. And uh, they have awesome guests. They have very insightful, friendly, like just cheerful conversations. Their podcast is amazing. And they asked us if we'd like to be special guests on their winter season. And so there is a Secret Santa episode we recorded with them. You want to talk about this concept? Yeah. Okay. So between the four of us, our our names have been put into a hat and uh, Cater Blossom and a specific egg each drew one of our names, and we each drew one of their names. And so what we did was we bought a game for that person to play. So I bought a game for one of the hosts of No Small Games, and they had to play the game that I picked for them, uh, and I had to do the same for the game that was sent to me. Yeah. And uh, we'll just, we we talk about all four games in one episode, and it's a, it's a great time. Yeah. And quick... Side note about this, we're recording this very episode <laughs> actually before we've recorded the No Small Games uh, Secret Santa episode. So we're lying a we're, little bit. We're 
time traveling in a way. <laughs> you know, we're we're looking ahead and saying, hey, this episode's going to be out in December, like around Christmas time. But right now it is like early October, <laughs> 2023. <laughs> so we assume all went well that it happened and that it's done and that you can go check out No Small Games and give them, you know, five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow them and all that stuff and listen to the episode where we appear. Um, I'm sure it will be very apparent. But um, if it went horribly wrong um, we'll or edit whatever, this out and you'll we, never know. You will never hear this. <laughs> but yeah, go check it out. I'm very excited. And it's so cool that it's like also kind of secret games. That's it so is. fun. Yes, they're kind of playing to our strengths. They know we're good at keeping secrets, which, come yeah. on, we are. We're yeah. good at keeping secrets. You have we're no idea. Good. You don't even know how good I am at keeping secrets, Bobo. Right. We're so good at keeping secrets that I, in this moment, I don't know what game you played or picked for the Secret Santa it's episode. It's true. Because it's so far in the <laughs> in the future. Or I, have, not st- in the I past. have started. Yeah? Yeah. You started playing your game? Nice. I have the game. I haven't started it yet because I'm waiting. There's a reason. Mm-hmm. There's a reason I'm waiting. Got it. Which all will be revealed <laughs> in good time. Before we move on, if you're listening to Underplayed right now, thank you and we love you. Please consider giving us a follow and a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. It takes just a few seconds and goes a long way. And with that, it's time for our secret games. The secret game. Secret game. In Secret Games, we each reveal and review a game we've been playing in secrets uh, over the past few weeks. We don't discuss what we're playing to each other in advance. Uh, We just have to pick an indie game we haven't reviewed before, play it, and now reveal and review it. We'll start with you, Disco Cola. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 45 of Underplayed. My secret game this episode comes from Buried Signal who I believe is primarily the person named Jason Roberts. And that game is called Gora Goa. Oh, no way. Yes. And oh. I have sent you the trailer, even though I don't think you need it, but all the same, <laughs> you have it. Yeah. I've played Gora Goa. I've 100%ed the achievements on Steam. It was probably four years ago. Uh, and I love this game. It is on my top 100 indie games list. But again, Ooh. it's been a while. Yeah. I remember moments, um, but I'm excited to hear this review. I'll have to check out your list, see where that is. Uh, so, yes, we're throwing it back to my physical Annapurna collection. Hopefully, volume one, hint, hint, <laughs> nudge, nudge, nudge. I am 8-bit. There's a lot of great Annapurna games that have come out recently. Um, so the only one left I haven't played is Telling Lies, which is vetted as a future featured game. Anyways, Goragoa is a puzzle visual storybook. That's how I would describe it. Um, there is a story here, but it is very like artistically driven and certain aspects are not necessarily super straightforward. Um, and turning to something like Steam for a synopsis doesn't really help in this case either, as everything is really making reference to accolades and its unique artistic approach to the puzzle genre. So Similar to Outer Wilds. I remember yeah. Outer Wilds did that in its synopsis. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Which is another uh, title in this collection, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> so it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as I can tell, in Goragoa, you play as a young boy who spots this like 
strange mythical creature in the city skyline outside of his window. You can see that in the trailer if you look it up. While looking through a book to learn more about this creature, you see some sort of illustration that suggests you can do something, maybe (laughs) summon this creature or something. Uh, by gathering and offering fruits of five different colors, red, green, yellow, blue, and purple. Uh, After that, your screen then breaks into a two-by-two grid with your opening scene confined to the upper left corner, and now you can click on objects or shift your scene to one of the other panels. And when you do these actions, you can zoom in further into scenes, reveal new objects, or find new doors... Or find that your main image now contains layers and can be split into multiple screens or recombined into one image. By combining, zooming, and shifting panels, you have to find the right order of operations to help the young boy move through various scenes, locations, images, and periods of his own life. All the while locating the five different fruits being your ultimate goal. The game is pretty linear and presents these fruits in a set order, so you could say that the game is split up into five sections, each representing a different stage of the boy's life, uh, as well as different puzzle elements. So the red is the first one, being sort of just basic mechanics set in the, we'll call it the present day. Green being more focused on screen manipulation and takes place in the near future. Uh, followed by yellow, focusing on like light mechanics and matching two screens together in an era of war-torn tumult in roughly his teenage years. And it goes on and on from there. So in Gorogoa, there is a lot that I am really impressed by. First and foremost, the method of solving puzzles, specifically the moving of the panels and finding that the panel you are moving is leaving this like transparent window that will lay over a new image, creating an entirely different image. It's it's so fascinating to just like spend a moment nudging everything that you have on screen and trying to decipher which screens need to be zoomed in or zoomed out and which screens need to be moved over top each other. Um, yeah, I remember a lot of like doorways and windows. Yep clicking on those, zooming in on them. And that's just so intuitive because you'd think, oh, I can peer into that. I can kind of see it. And so what if I just try this? And it like pretty much always is that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so one er early on, one of the first things that it teaches you is to go through a door. And so like if you can ever see a door in the distance, that's usually a good sign that you should zoom in with this one. And maybe another one needs to be adjusted with a with a transparent layer. There's a great satisfaction every time you get to fit one piece next to the panel that has the young boy in it, and the image matches perfectly, and then the scene takes off from there. Yeah, and he'll like start walking yep. in, like upstairs yeah. or like into the next screen. Otherwise, right? yeah. he's just waiting for you to, to figure it out. Um, additionally, the game does give you this like little echo around any object that can be interacted with when you tap on one of the panels. This is something that I actually think would have helped me in just a couple of spots in Tangle Tower. <laughs> um, so by doing this, the scenes are allowed to have an entirely like cohesive and consistent visual identity instead of maybe illustrating one or two objects in such a distinctly different way that it's obvious it needs to be interacted with. Um, so yes, there will be some objects that are clearly meant to be interacted with, Um, But occasionally there will be objects that are integral to the current puzzle 
but they only appear at first sight to be like a tin of something sitting on a shelf. Mm. Um, and so that little echo mechanic really helps uh, and allows for that artistic cohesion throughout the whole game. As you might expect at this point, I do really love the art style. I think it is attractive and it oozes sophistication. It's like so many of the storybooks I remember reading in the school library around the time that you were like just starting to read chapter books. Like you won't get made fun of if your books <laughs> still have pictures, but you're old enough that the the illustrated books can be like really profound or occasionally dark. And and I think if this isn't intentional, it certainly like takes the player into a mind space that reflects the primary age the boy is depicted in oh, by doing yeah, this. Totally. In a game like Gorogoa, where the point is to collect, you know, like X number of thingies, in this case, the fruits, um, it's not super rare to be able to do that in any order, um, but Gorogoa is very linear. Um, but what I really love about this is that unlike other puzzle games, you are finding that linear line. Like you're, you aren't necessarily solving for a key, but you're solving for progress. And because each new solution is basically moving one more rung up the ladder to the end of the story, I feel so much more compelled to solve these puzzles. Mm. So you're you're not solving for an object to progress. You're solving for progress. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it, like this is a shorter puzzle game, yep. you know, so that approach sort of makes sense. It like makes sense for that style and that length, I think. And then I think my favorite thing overall in Gorogoa is that the game does not hold fast to the linear passage of time in this boy's life, but manages to drive home exactly what happens to this boy, not only in relation to his surroundings, but in relation to his seemingly lifelong task of seeking this mythical creature. Jumping back and forth in time is not something that I usually love in media, but I think it adds to the artistry at play in Gorogoa. So I actually do really appreciate it here. Um, and then lastly, I really want to shout out the ending puzzle of this game. This section is a little bit like a greatest hits of the game. Mm. Um, the puzzle using everything you learned. Yeah. Yeah. And the puzzle also like, isn't as difficult as most of the puzzles that came before it. So it actually feels like a reward for getting this far instead of just like a, a final exam, you mm. know? Yeah. Uh, however, all of that is to say Gorgo is not without its faults, and it is far from my favorite game I've ever played. While I ultimately liked the high art concepts of Gorgo in the end, I did find myself really trying to focus on a through line in the story uh, and found myself very confused um, throughout most of the game. At least in, in my first playthrough, uh, I hadn't realized that the characters depicted in the story were the same character. It's pretty clear that the characters seen in the red fruit and the green fruit sections are the same person. Um, but those sections are so brief and they're so close together. Uh, and the boy looks so similar in both and are even wearing similar clothes that when I get to like the yellow fruit section, I'm not necessarily assuming that we're following the same person. Um, and I, I just, I just sort of thought we were dropping in on the lives of different persons in disparate places at the same time. And I think if it there was like one more super identifiable feature of the boy that carried out throughout these scenes, that might have been more clear to me on my first playthrough. Um, unlike many puzzle games that just get objectively harder as you go, uh, I think 
Gorogoa is different. It seems to me that Gorogoa has one really long and much more difficult section, and it's right in the middle of the game. And I actually had to look up multiple solutions in this section. Some of them are asking me to put like three different screens together and create a machine, basically. And there's even like an action puzzle, meaning I have to actively move panels on a timer yeah it's time-based yeah i remember a ball dropping yeah that part of it that's the one i remember a section with gears turning exactly yeah yeah. those stick in my mind i think because those offered a different challenge in the game just compared to everything else where you can take your time but yeah that action one especially just like it feels so out of character for the rest of the game i just i didn't really enjoy this section of the game and i found myself scratching my head even when i'd solved like the mechanics of many of the puzzles i'd have to take my machine apart uh you know and zoom in on a panel just to find out that i actually had to wait two or three more cycles before i could actually zoom in to the correct panel so i just i kind of felt like my time was being wasted um occasionally i actually also really dislike a couple of the trophies i think puzzle games should have interesting trophies but a couple of these uh, became distractions from enjoying the game. Like, granted, the first time through, I really did try to just experience the game without worrying about trophies at all. Um, but also, like I said, the first time through, I had trouble following the story. And I also didn't know that I had trouble following the story. So my second time <laughs> through, um, I'm really working really hard to earn a lot of these trophies, but I'm also realizing that there's a lot about the story I didn't pick up on before. So I'm I'm sort of like... Yeah, you're distracted. My attention's divided. Yeah, I'm distracted. I can't figure out which what I want to focus on. And lastly, just sort of on its own, what what is the mythical creature? Is it straightforward, just some like fish, dragon, serpent, sky thing? Does this represent something? What is it about this that makes it a lifelong obsession for this boy? It seems to me that he literally saw the creature at the beginning of the game. Like, would, the, mm. would that just not be good enough yeah so this has me thinking like it has to represent something else yeah i can't really help you a ton here because i don't it's just been years since i've played it yeah but i also wonder just based off of what you're reminding me of is the fish dragon creature thing is it a stand-in for like a lifelong pursuit yeah or a lifelong goal like uh, a childhood dream that you then grow up to pursue as an adult i don't know maybe it's something like that yeah generally i tend to like things being open to interpretation but so much of the rest of the game is also like kind of vague that there's no clear interpretation for me so like like believe me i i understand obsession but this doesn't (laughs) visually represent what i understand obsession to feel like so i'm i'm a little bit at a loss for what the dragon is supposed to be Gorgoa is a game that I was only moderately excited to start. After I started, it became something that I could tell was pretty special and something that I was excited to experience. But after progressing, it became something that I began to feel a little like a chore. And while that is only primarily because of one sizable section of the game that is in the middle, it really took the wind out of my sails for some of the really cool puzzles that come at the end. Um, Goragoa is a game that I really want to love so badly because of the beautifully illustrated and artfully composed story. Um, unfortunately, while always impressive, I found the game at times collapsed ever so slightly. 
under the weight of the art's great ambition. I think this game is absolutely still worth playing for most indie game fans, and it's unlike any puzzle game I've ever played, and in the good way, in the great way. But I would just say that you you might need to be the kind of person that doesn't need to have everything figured out, and you might also need to be okay with looking up a couple of solutions. There's a lot in this game that is not straightforward. For me and my experience with Goragoa, I want to give it a 7.0 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Okay, still a positive score, and I'm glad you were able to you know, just appreciate sort of what makes this game unique. And I think if I think back to playing it, what I really took in about this game was that it was foremost a gameplay game for me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing the thing where I was going through and trying to interpret, is this the same guy? Is this, you know, what does this dragonfish thing mean? I was just taken with this gimmick of moving the panels around and zooming in and combining pictures. Like how often do you see that in games? And it's one of those games where when I first saw the trailer, I don't know how many years ago, it was instantly alluring. You see the the like showpiece puzzle of the bird, bird on the branch. On the, yeah. And then you see like a tree and you zoom in on that tree and that tree connects to the branch. And then there's uh, an apple on the tree. And then you have to put the bowl under the apple. Then the bird flies away. The apple becomes loose and falls into the bowl. That right there is all communicated in just seconds, wordlessly. And I think this whole game is wordless. Um, I don't know if you even like see written text. I don't think there's written text. And just that's the game is it is so visual. It uses iconography very efficiently in a very clear, like you said, in a illustrative way that reminds me of books that I read at a certain age. I think you nailed that observation. It's like, yeah, there is a certain age where I read books that looked like this, that felt like this, mm -hmm. where I wasn't like too young or too old. Yeah, I, I just love the idea of gameplay in this game, and I love how it looks. And beyond that, I'm not the person to look for the interpretations or like the thematic storytelling things. Um, I wonder, though, with the action-oriented puzzle, you know, like the ball dropping and you have to do the thing in a certain amount of time, maybe that's right kind of smack dab in the middle because it re represents like a more tumultuous time in the boy's life. I have to wonder, yeah. You know, so I'm sure that that's a very conscious decision. So just the idea that that could be a possibility is kind of cool yeah. too. Because that that stage of life is pretty close to to where we're at, maybe a little bit younger than us. Uh, definitely feeling a lot of tumult mm -hmm. myself, but uh, who's to say that stuff doesn't get worse from here? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe we'll make Gorgoa 2 will be about your life. Uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> it won't come out for many years. Um, I wonder what your dragon fish thing would be. I'm trying oh, to think gosh. of what that would be. Maybe just a giant can of soda. Yeah. Uh, but this game also fits into this category of games that we don't really get to talk about. There are some games that are published by really notable indie publishers um, or that just have like are, are pretty well recognized. Um, that are well-received and have won awards and things like that, but that still don't quite hit the mark for like being a featured game that are actually probably more appropriate as a secret game. And mm -hmm. I think this is like a great example of that. Yeah. Where Goragoa, you could look at how many people have played it. You could look at how it's published by Annapurna and you might see this like combination of factors that scream, yeah, this is like featured game worthy. But I think this is a great secret game because it is a shorter game. Uh, there's not like a 
clear story. You know, it's it's very light on story overall. It's more about just moments and like things you're doing within a couple hours. And so I don't know if there's like enough meat on the bone there for like the featured game status. So I don't know. I've thought about Gorgoa. It's one of those games that's kind of on the boundary it's like line. The borderline. Yeah. It's like right at the boundary where it's like if this had just a little bit more to talk about or if I don't know if it it was even more successful in what it does. Maybe it would cross over. Yeah, we've got another Annapurna game coming up in a featured game slot later this season. That's like what I would also consider borderline because of of the substance of the game. So it's it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. So it just it reminded me of some of those kind of games that we we meditate on, we talk about, we sometimes lightly argue about. But uh, it's a great secret game. I'm glad you played it because I had played it before. Um, what can you play Gorgoa on? You can play Gorgoa on Windows, iOS, Android, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch. And I played it, of course, on the PS4 with my Annapurna collection. It is time for My Secret Game. My Secret Game is also a puzzle game. Ooh. And it is called Bonfire Peaks. I haven't heard of Bonfire Peaks. Never heard of Bonfire Peaks. I haven't. Well, I just sent you a trailer. You can watch that while I go on. All right. So Bonfire Peaks is a 2021 puzzle game developed by Corey Martin and published by Dracneck. I'm going to read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, set your belongings on fire on a beautiful voxel art puzzle island. Move onwards, upwards, and leave nothing behind. Bonfire Peaks is a puzzle game about closure, end quote. So this is a third-person puzzle game. It is specifically a style of puzzle game called a Sakoban game. Have you ever heard of a Sakoban? I've never heard that word in my <laughs> life. It's fun to say, I think. Sakoban. And a Sakoban game is basically where you're pushing boxes into rightful places. I don't know if... Oh, what's that one you played published by Finji, where you're in a warehouse. Oh, uh, Wilmot. Wilmot's warehouse. I don't warehouse. know if Wilmot's warehouse technically fits into this. <laughs> That's more of an organization More thing. organization, yeah. yeah. Well, this style of game dates back to 1982, where there was this game called Sakaban that was released for an 8-bit home computer called the PC-88. So it was this Japanese game that inspired more puzzle games in the coming decades, and this game is very much inspired by this idea of picking up boxes, rearranging boxes, uh, shuffling things around, maybe temporarily putting a box in a place so that you can make room for another box and then moving that first box because you've freed up another spot, that kind of idea. Uh, there are voxel-style graphics. Everything's very blocky. There's this really distinct grid in this 3D world. All these levels that you play in are these like little dioramas, kind of. And you play as this man who arrives on an island in a boat with a box of his possessions, and you're in this overworld map screen, and you enter this first level, and you're told to burn your possessions in a bonfire. So you pick up your one box of possessions, you see this big bonfire, and you drop your possessions into it, and that level is complete. And this becomes the essence and the goal of every subsequent level in the game. You're supposed to pick up one box of possessions and bring it to a fire to burn those possessions. And you use other boxes to make platforms in many levels. You encounter um, switches and spikes. You find all these other mechanics like um, running water and platforms that erode after you step on them. 
and um, again, you're rotating boxes, sometimes stacking things really tall mm-hmm. and using boxes, rotating yourself to move a box into another box that's stacked on top of another box to knock it off. <laughs> Lots of those kinds of movements. And if you make a mistake, you can undo infinitely in this game. You can reset the level with a press of a button as well. And there's no explanation or spoken story. You're the only character in the game. You don't see anyone else. You see these props in the overworld that hint at a background. Like you see a car, um, you see a hospital bed, you see a piano. But these things are sort of strewn all over. And otherwise, this is a puzzle game with just over 200 puzzles to solve in the oh, base good game. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, this is a very long game. Every time you finish a level, you're given a box in the overworld, and then you use that box to reach new platforms in the overworld to then reach new levels. Oh. So the overworld itself is kind of a light puzzle where you reach cliff sides that you can't climb yet because you need to finish levels to get enough boxes to then stack up in the overworld to reach new pockets of levels. Does okay, I think that's super cool, actually. Yeah. So the overworld isn't just a place to walk on to select levels. It's also a place that you explore. And it's huge uh, because there are over 200 levels. So they are spread out over this huge island. And um, you're also kind of like climbing this mountain on this island. So the goal is to burn all your possessions in every level and then proceed on this island until you make your way to the top. And actually, by the end of this game, it kind of feels like Celeste, almost. You're like, <laughs> the, the final climactic thing you're working toward is just making your way up. And uh, you see a little bit of that in the trailer, so it's not a huge um, spoiler. Because again, the story isn't... Uh, it doesn't the, exist. The story's kind of nebulous. Yeah. Uh, so what I liked about Bonfire Peaks, this is one of the most meditative and solitary games I've ever played. Not just in the puzzle genre, but just across all games. Um, This is a lonely game, which is not explicitly a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually found this to be like a certain mood that I don't find in a lot of games. And I I applaud that about Bonfire Peaks. It feels like you're playing as someone who needs to work through something. It feels like it's a game that meditates on the fact that sometimes – When we have a problem or we have something we need to figure out, the only path forward is to just sit with ourselves and think things through. And that feels like what this guy is doing. So it's just a mood. It's kind of dark. It's kind of brooding, but it's not scary. Um, It's not depressing. It's sort of that space that we all need to be in when we're struggling a little bit, Mm -hmm. You know, which I think is why... The goal is burning your possessions. It feels like this person is trying to move on, is trying to maybe acknowledge the past, but then also let go of the past because they realize, hey, for my own therapy, I need to move on. So that's the vibe. That's the mood of Bonfire Peaks. I think this game was made by someone with a brain much larger than mine. and it's, <laughs> Many more wrinkles. <laughs> a lot of, lot more gray matter up there. And it's got very clever puzzles that often stumped me, right? But when I figured out solutions in Bonfire Peaks, I felt like I was really smart. Some of the really tough ones made me feel like I grew a third eye in my forehead. <laughs> but then others really humbled me. 
There are uh, plenty of easier levels, though, that teach you a principle, which is then built upon in adjacent levels, a lot like Baba's You. You remember when you would go into like a new area of levels in Baba's You, the first one's teaching you that foundation, and then let's build on that a little bit. Then let's build on it a little bit more. That's definitely going on here. I was so good at that game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, this game's difficulty honestly kind of reminds me, it's pretty similar to Baba's You, if you want to kind of try to compare it to something. The game has very particular conventions you learn too, and they're introduced early, and they seem really odd in hindsight, but you do them so early and often enough that don't really like realize how strangely you're playing the game. One example is when you need to walk upstairs, but also hold a box. If you walk forward with your box, your box is going to hit the stairs and you actually can't climb the stairs. So you have to walk backwards upstairs all the time in this game. So if you watch someone play this fresh and they like know what they're doing, but you've never seen Bonfire Peaks before, you're going to see them do things like pick up a box then approach stairs, then rotate 180 degrees, and then walk backwards up the stairs. And like you would never think to do that in other games, but you do that in almost every level in this game. And it's just part of the rule set that makes this game work. Also, everything in each level is intentionally placed. There's never anything um, superfluous. superfluous. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing superfluous placed in the levels where like this box, I didn't need this box for this puzzle at all. Every level is just the right size to do what you need to do. Every level gives you the number of boxes you need to do what you need to do. You just have to figure out what to do. Hmm. So I like that there aren't extraneous things clogging up these levels to intentionally like trick me. So that's where this game is a little bit friendlier. Uh, I guess it's like very intentionally designed to give you what you need and nothing more. What I disliked about Bonfire Peaks, like I mentioned earlier, This game is very long. My play clock on PlayStation says I spent 17 hours in this game to get to the credits. That's got to be one of your longest secret games. But few, yes, uh, it is the longest. I think it might tie for with um, Golf Story, but I will say maybe one and a half to two of those hours were idle time. So still a good like 15 hours, I would say. And that's also after I looked up tons of solutions. Yeah. Okay. So. There's this feature on PS5 called Game Help. This game has Game Help for every single level. Whoa. Game Help is a feature where uh, if you are kind of stuck in a game, as long as the developer and the publisher like implemented it, you can dig into the PS5 menu and pull up Game Help and it will show you like little instructions. It will show you a video of what to do to solve things. And I wish more games implemented it. It's a lot of like a lot of first party PlayStation games have it, you know, obviously, because it's a PS5 feature. It's um, something they really want to push on the platform, but they don't make it mandatory for all developers. Right. But Corey Martin uses it in this game. It's in every level. So anytime I got stuck for more than, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, I would use game help. And sometimes I'd watch the game help video multiple times because (laughs) some of these solutions are so complex. So some puzzles are so hard that you could give me like a a full day or two and I probably wouldn't be able to figure it out on my own. So I underestimated how long this game would be. Um, I didn't do everything myself, but also I will go back just a little bit and say, 
this game still does have like a fair amount of approachable content that still made me like really satisfied to solve things. And then another thing I didn't really click with was just if I wanted to revisit a level, I found that it was kind of difficult because um, you have to like retrace your steps back to the level. Um, you have to remember what it was called. You have to remember where that level was. There's no like preview picture to tell you what level is what. Mm -hmm. That's another big similarity to Baba is You. It's very hard to like reference levels and remember where certain things are. So for the most part, I was not revisiting things just because it was a hassle to then go back and try to find it. So maybe if you had something like a, the Spyro whatever guidebook uh, for one one screen for each level, and yes. you could just flip through and then maybe even just warp directly yes. to the level from that guidebook. That's another thing is there's no warp. You know, you have to climb like up and down this mountain to get to different sections. And sometimes... In that overworld, you find certain boxes that let you create new platforms elsewhere, and you have to remember where to go. So I think that's a cool idea, but it's a lot of walking around sometimes to remember mm -hmm. where you need to go. Overall, Bonfire Peaks humbled my puzzle brain just as much as it made me feel smart. It feels both nebulous and very personal with its mood and setting. It's another puzzle game I'm sometimes more in awe of than I actively enjoy playing each and every second. Right. But if you like long and difficult puzzle games with a fair amount of approachable levels too, this is a strong recommendation from me. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Oh, heckers. That's even higher than I thought. And this is playable on PC, Mac, Linux, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 5, which is where I played it, and PlayStation 4. Excellent. I feel like you really describe the game pretty clearly uh, and whatever you know is maybe left uncertain in my mind is covered by the trailer so um, it's very clear to me just watching this trailer that this is you know a sort of like a meditative experience something for you to to sit in you know maybe misery loves company and this is <laughs> yeah this is secondhand company or something so yeah definitely that that's I'd say that's accurate it is um, a certain vibe that just feels unlike other puzzle games. Also, I just want to shout out this channel called Get ND Gaming. This is a YouTube channel that talked about this game a couple years ago. And when they talked about it in their like favorite games of 2021 list, I put it on my wish list that day. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of always been on my list of possible secret games. And so here we are. So Get Indie Gaming is a great YouTube channel. If you want to check out like what are some cool indie games coming out this month or that came out earlier this year? They do lots of like breakdowns and lists and things like that. Cool. I guess the, I do have one question, the song in the trailer, Heckin' Rules, and this just visually looks like it would be a game that just has this awesome soundtrack and a very unique sound. Is, is that happening? A lot of the soundtrack is very calming and pleasant and sort of just relaxed. A lot of it is ambient, I would okay. say. Um, there's one track that I found a little repetitive and a little um, dissonant compared to other songs. But for the most part, I found the music to kind of fit the personality of this island, which is sort of going at your own pace and taking time to think things through. So it feels like meditative music, just like how the gameplay feels too. Awesome. Well, it sounds like too heavy a burden for me. I do love the concept of the overworld 
mm-hmm. existing and also being a puzzle kind of in itself. So yes. that's kind of cool. If there's one thing I would carry over from this game and like put into more games, it would be that idea. I wish more games did that kind of fun idea. Um, and then also speaking of Baba is You, this game has little references to tons of innovative puzzle games. A Monster's Expedition, Fez, uh, Steven's Sausage Roll, <laughs> The Witness, a game called Kine or Kine. I'm not really sure what how that's pronounced. Um, Pipe Push Paradise, Illiteracy, Baba Is You. Of course. There's like a little uh, goal flag mm, in this game. Nice. On the mountain. It's kind of cool. Like I was like, is that a reference to Baba Is You? And then I started like really paying attention to the objects and realized there are way more of these. There are also references to Recursed, Patrick's Parabox, Jack Lance, and Sticky Candy Puzzle Saga. Uh, I don't know if that's all of them, but I found a list online that listed all these. And so many of these games are puzzle games that do something innovative. This game also just made me realize that there's like this pantheon of (laughs) elite puzzle designers just when it comes to indie games. And I find that really fascinating. They have like a social club. I know. It's like an inner circle And it's people like Corey Martin and Hempooley, who made Baba's You, and like Jonathan Blow, who made Braid and uh, The Witness, and Phil Fish, who made Fez. So, uh, yeah, I wonder, do those guys hang out? Is this just, (laughs) (laughs) is this just like reverence too? Like, is it? Corey Martin just like loving these guys. Oh, that's just, probably what it is. Probably. But I but... like to think of them making like a Rube Goldberg machine and having martinis <laughs> or something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like hanging out on the weekends, going on vacations together, like make it happen. So those are our secret games, Gora Goa and Bonfire Peaks. Let's move on to our review of the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. It is our featured game. Parable Ultra Deluxe was released in 2022. It is a first-person narrative choice-based walking simulator dark comedy adventure anti-game. Yes. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> Anything you would add to that list? No. It's very hard to categorize it. Um, the original Stanley Parable was released in 2013. So Ultra Deluxe is a definitive edition of the Stanley Parable. And when we picked our lineup for season five, um, Stanley Parable was my pick. And it was in that category of games that have re-released with more content or just like a bonus content, definitive edition, ultimate edition, director's cut, you know, that kind of vibe going on. And it was developed by Crows, 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 The original Stanley Parable was developed by Galactic Cafe, and uh, the game was like primarily written by Davey Reedon and William Pugh, and uh, this Ultra Deluxe was also published by Crows, Crows, Crows. The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, The Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe is an expanded reimagining of 2013's The Stanley Parable. You will play as Stanley, and you will not play as Stanley. You will make a choice, and you will become powerless. You are not here to win. The Stanley Parable is a game that plays you. End quote. (laughs) Can't make that up myself. Great. So in this game, Stanley is a man who is employee number- Is he a man? (laughs) 
Wow. <laughs> Sorry. We're, let's just do that the whole time, Disco Cola. <laughs> so in this game, Stanley is a man who is employee number 427 in an office building. And he receives instructions on his computer all day telling him what buttons to press. And one day his screen stops giving him instructions. So he stands up uh, and leaves his office to find out more. And he discovers that no one else in his office building is there. And playing as Stanley, you walk around in the first person. You're guided by this British narrator who is always alongside you for the entire game and is the only one speaking. And the narrator talks about Stanley in the third person. And in telling the story, suggests what the player should do, such as entering a door. So the narrator will say, then Stanley entered the door on the left. Um, but you have free will and you can disobey the narrator. You can choose to go into the door on the right. And whatever you do from that point will maybe change the story and how the narrator talks about you. So the narrator is just always talking about your choices and reacting to you, trying to predict what you'll do. And it's sort of that back and forth. So uh, you can find hidden areas of the office building. Um, you can find all these endings. Um, all you can do is move, interact, and crouch. There's intentionally like no jump button in this game. <laughs> um, and the game actually like has several references to that. And the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe is very enigmatic. You could probably argue it's philosophical and psychological. Um, what it means and what it's trying to say is a really complicated topic. So to try any further would just be uh, an exercise in confusion. But Disco Cola, how else would you paint the picture here? <laughs> uh, well, first I would use a bucket to put the paint in, and then I would paint the picture. <laughs> <laughs> there's also there's also a bucket in this game. Very important bucket. <laughs> um, That's good. <laughs> nice. I would. I don't know, man. You have to play it to experience it. Right. Um, it's there, unlike a lot of things. Yeah, it's unlike a lot of video games. I've seen this a lot in like movies and and television shows. Okay. Um it's experimental. Yeah. That's another way to put That's it. That's a good way to put yeah. it. It's um it's also kind of like a deconstruction of games and game development in some ways. Yep. Um it comments on gaming behavior and what <laughs> video game players do. It sure does. But then also what game developers do and it talks about that relationship between game developer and, and gamers, yeah. but always within the context of this narrator talking about this guy, Stanley, that you're controlling, yeah. too. So um, it's a game that breaks the fourth wall all over the place. Um, there are tons of like setups and payoffs. But yeah, this game has, I don't know how many endings, but it, I think it's dozens. Dozens, yeah. yeah it's I crazy. I actually just... Uh, so I knew that there were a lot of endings and how you could get to a lot of them, but there's like this whole flow chart too. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of events that only happen after other events. And when you reach an ending or um, maybe manually reset your game in the pause menu, you start back in Stanley's office, but things might be different now. You know, the office might look a little different or something that you did in the previous loop has now changed something in the office. Or... There might be RNG. There might be, you might reset, and there might be like a certain percentage chance that the office will look a certain way. You can't always guarantee how the office will look or what the narrator will say. Or sometimes 
you might do the exact same steps and the narrator will say kind of the same thing, but with different words. Changes can be subtle too. Yeah. Um, and then beyond the original game, Ultra Deluxe added more areas to the office building and more endings. So really this game is just kind of uh, larger. There there are more paths to take, more either or choices to make. And um adds some commentary that I think is a little bit more modern compared to what we got in the 2013 game. This game is very different. So I will give a light spoiler warning. While this isn't like a traditional narrative game, we might spoil some special moments in the game. So if you haven't played the Stanley Parable or Ultra Deluxe, uh, proceed with caution. I tried to be very careful when taking my notes. So Okay, good. Uh, But as we get further and further along in the conversation, you know, we might have to actually talk about moments. But again, it's hard to spoil everything. But again, <laughs> it's not your traditional like three-act structure story. So yeah. just listener, no, this is a very different game. Go play it if you haven't played it before. Maybe maybe this is your point where you can like drop off. But otherwise, continue uh, listening. Disco-Cola, I'm curious, what did you know about the Stanley Parable going in? Stanley Parable is a game that I have watched some gameplay for, but have never played myself. Um, I, I had remembered it being funny and I couldn't remember much more than that, to be honest. So as a result, like I sort of had it conflated with, uh, super liminal, uh, oh. when you selected this for our season five roster. So gotcha. I was like, when I picked Gora Goa as my secret game, I was, I was, um, synergizing with like the zoom and perspective sort of gameplay element of the Stanley parable that doesn't exist. Gotcha. So yeah, so Disco Cola likes to find a connection most of the time between the secret game and the feature game. And so that I was curious about that. Didn't want to ask about it in case that question was offensive on this one, but that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. when when you Google like games like Stanley Parable Superliminal is like option number three. So <laughs> I'm not the only one. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. So there, yeah, I haven't played Superliminal, but I know it's weird. I know it's like experimental like yeah. this. Um and for me going in, like I was familiar with the Stanley parable because I played the original back in 2014, but forgot a lot of it too. So this game reminded me, I I replayed it these past few weeks. I was reminded of, uh, everything again. And so now, um, Disco Cola, I'm curious after playing the Stanley parable ultra deluxe, what are your feelings on this game? Uh, Stanley parable ultra deluxe. This game was hard to finish for the episode. Because like when when are you when are you done? <laughs> there there are so many endings, and from what I can tell, the quote unquote true ending, big, big air quotes, can be achieved very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um and additionally, the first ending I actually did achieve is the only one that I found with the literal credits in it. So I was I done then? Was I done with the quote unquote true ending? Yeah. Then there there are other endings that give you credits, but I didn't know how to get to them. You know? <laughs> I didn't know yeah. there were other endings with credits. Well, there's at least one. Okay. There's at least one I can think of. Okay. Yeah. So this game was hard to uh to figure out where to stop. I do think that the humor of this game holds up for the most part. Like I said, I remembered it being funny. Um, so I think it holds up even in situations where I wanted the scene to maybe move a bit quicker 
or I knew how I had to get the story rolling, I did find myself curious to hear all of the voice lines from the narrator. Um, The Stanley parable will teach you that you can do the same thing over and over again and experience different voice lines, like you said. And I think this helps to encourage the player to like test different actions to see how that affects the narrator. And in many cases, those unique voice lines are there. I doubt there is as much recorded dialogue as there is in maybe like Disco Elysium or Hades, both games that we've played for the show. Sure. But it's probably in like third or fourth place in the pantheon of underplayed games to date. At times, I kind of felt like I was playing Portal 2 again, just like listening to (laughs) Wheatley until he stopped. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that's high praise. Portal 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, sometimes the gag or the joke at hand in this game is how long the narrator can just go on this diatribe yeah. about something. And the goal is to get you impatient, maybe to make <laughs> you reset the game because you're tired of listening to him. Yeah. Even. Yeah, that's happened to me. Um <laughs> I like that there are a lot of invisible moving parts in the Stanley Parable. It can seem that the narrator is the main like force at work at all times, but there are also other invisible levers that are pulled at different times, and it can be a fun to surprise to notice something is the result of a domino you pushed five or six loops ago, and that can be really cool to see. Speaking of, I like the idea of the loop in this case. They're so... So many different choices to make, most of which are on a branching path. And some of those paths even have branches. Um, And all of the paths themselves are so short that no single one feels like a huge waste of time with a couple of big exceptions. Um, I also love that the narration gets really meta. I don't know if this (laughs) is like totally novel. Like I said, there are plenty of stories in other mediums that have sort of explored this in a similar way. So there isn't necessarily anything groundbreaking here, but it allows for a kind of comedy that isn't possible otherwise. So by going meta like this, the narrator is capable of directly insulting me. Well, right. he's he's insulting Stanley, but it's it's it me. feels like a jab at you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I love being called out directly instead of <laughs> as like part of this contrived dialogue between two characters, where it's like, oh, I hate when people do this. It's like, yeah, man, why would anyone do that? And it's like. I do, I do that. Yeah, that connection works so well because it's all written in the third person. Exactly. Like, yeah, he's talking about you, but you're the person controlling Stanley. Yep. Um, I also actually really like what the Ultra Deluxe Edition adds to the game because while it bills itself and insults itself as a pointless edition of content for the <laughs> port to consoles, bloating the game, betraying the intent, and tricking consumers, it's actually adding something that I feel is largely missing from the base game, as far as I can tell. And that's like this feeling of progression. Um, progression actually probably does betray the point of the original game in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Yeah. But I honestly, I just, I kind of, I kind of need it. Um, but there is a flip side to that point. I think it's pretty clear that the point of the game is to drive home the cyclical pointlessness of everyday mundane life and how nothing changes and choices are an illusion, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same point I've seen in media dozens of times before. Uh, and it's just, it's not my favorite story, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's specifically about mundane employment. Yeah, this game kind of mocks corporate 
office work yeah um in a way that was really relatable to me as someone who works in an office two to three times a week right yeah so i I totally got what it was going for there right and you know i am someone i do think that people should be able to find fulfilling employment and all that but i've had that you know mundane job same thing every day job and honestly you know when i used to work in this place i was never more creative than I was when I had that job. You know, I literally work now in a place where being creative is necessary, not every day, but mm-hmm. um, often. And don't get me wrong, I do love my current job a lot. I wouldn't trade it. But I find myself like thriving artistically when my hands are busy, but my mind is free. Mm. And so I'm sure I'm in the minority on this, but I also know that I'm not the only one. So I don't always appreciate the like, soul crushing dead end job story because it's like I did so many cool things outside of work when I had that soul crushing job building on that one category of games this is like without actually being a member of I feel is like the time loop game yeah where like it's reminding me a little bit of 12 minutes it's reminding me of Doki Doki Literature Club Plus in like especially in like the meta stuff too um it's reminding me of Outer Wilds how you're doing this loop over and over and you're trying to discover new things but in a lot of those time loop games, it feels like you're trying to go to the destination of breaking the loop. In Stanley Parable, it feels like the loop is the attraction. Like mm-hmm. we are we're showing you the loop and then playing with that loop. But like even if it feels like you find freedom, it doesn't feel actually tangible. It feels like you're just always in this loop. Yeah. And so it's also kind of reminding me of what you said about Toem. Weirdly enough, I didn't think we'd bring this up, but oh. you talked about how you don't really like the journey. You're, you're all about the destination. Mm-hmm. And this game feels like it's that journey just over and over and over. You're not breaking the loop. You're not getting to a destination. You're in the loop. Yeah. 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 So. And that that can be rough for me at times, too, yeah. just like being stuck in the loop. Anyways, again, uh, another thing that was rough for me, speaking to the point of the game, uh, one of the main points being driven home is illusion of choice. Um, and I mentioned this in a previous episode during the super hot review. Right. Uh, but when I'm told to do something in a video game, I like to try the opposite. And in this case, we are receiving <laughs> uh, direction and exposition from the same source. So this gives the narrator double duty uh, as master and participant. He's like Dr. Zimbardo in the Stanford <laughs> prison experiment. Right, right, right. So anytime we defy his narration, his narration changes. Um, but he is also the mastermind of the game. And this makes the the narrator an unreliable narrator in the literary sense. Right. So every choice you make will eventually lead to an ending. And while you get a pretty significant ending for following all the directions, again, trying to spoil as little as I can, you also get a pretty significant ending for defying all or some of the directions. And um, having an unreliable narrator sort of disrupts my instincts and has me wasting time trying to uncover whether or not the narrator is lying to me at any given moment (laughs) while being vague as I can. I found this especially true in what I'll call the countdown ending. I didn't know whether to trust the narrator there. And that whole thing takes so long that, uh, I didn't care to actually uncover more beyond just trying it the one time. Right. To be honest. And I, I will say the narrator during that, that countdown ending, Mm Mm-hmm behaves unlike any other ending that I found. Okay. And I found that to be... Um, Suspicious? 
suspicious and a little revealing about that character and sp- that specific playthrough. Mm-hmm. I think like when you do enough endings. Now again, there, I didn't do every ending. There could be an ending where he's more like that, but I guess the point is his character changes and his believability can change with yeah. that too, depending on what you're chasing. It's it's hard to to know at any given moment what is around the next corner. Yeah. One of my biggest complaints at the end of multiple run-throughs is actually something mentioned in the meta commentary of the Ultra Deluxe Edition. I do think this game does need a skip button. I don't want <laughs> to skip the narration on the first or even like second attempts of an ending, uh, but I did get to the point in the Ultra Deluxe Edition where it removed the very few things that act as progression in the game. So like I, I got one specific ending and it basically just like wiped everything that looked like progression in my game. And so to reactivate that small piece of progression, I had to essentially beat the entire base game again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where a skip button would have been nice. I don't want to skip my experience the first time through, but many of the endings themselves are quite long. Some of them painfully so, and it would be really helpful to skip endings that I have already seen before. Gotcha. So just a few pain points. I do think that some of those are pretty significant complaints, but in the end, Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe Edition is probably one of the funniest games I've played. (laughs) Uh, I think that this game gets wild in ways I didn't expect. My favorite part will always be just listening to the narrator. Uh, He is a warm feeling that reminds me of one of my other favorite games. However, deciding when you've properly finished the game is a bit of a chore, as is getting to some of the endings that you may decide are necessary to have beaten the game. And while I love the narrator, I can never guess when to trust him. The point of the game is driven home by how it sometimes makes me feel in real life. So, job well done, Stanley. Um, (laughs) I found, at this point, all of the endings that I care to find for now, but I could potentially see myself jumping back in and asking questions about some variables just to see if the result is different. I am still glad that I have played this, though. I give Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe a 7.5 out of 10. All right. This game is hard to talk about, isn't it? Sure. Sure heckin' is. Uh, It's so hard to talk about because it is unabashedly enigmatic and... That's kind of why I love it. I am intrigued by everything it does. I put the Stanley Parable original version into my top 100 indie games list when I first made that list. And as we sit down, it's still in that list at 63 out of 100. Okay. Um, And after playing the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, I actually liked the experience even more than my memory of the original game. And I suspect that game will replace the original in that list and be much higher now. So I really enjoyed my time with this game. I just kind of marathoned it this past day. I played it super recently. It's really (laughs) fresh in my mind. I played it today. And what really sells this experience for me is the narrator. Kevin Brighting is the name of the voiceover actor. And he is just pitch perfect with the performance. I could listen to this guy read the phone book and it would be interesting (laughs) He reminds me of the Little Big Planet voiceover oh, guy. Oh, yeah, he does You know how that, that guy, it, it feels like they just took that guy and then put him in a completely weird, dysfunctional game. 
<laughs> and um, I love how the narrator is limited in knowledge. It makes his observations reflect what I'm sometimes thinking. Like he'll, I'll, I'll have these subconscious feelings and then he'll put those into words mm-hmm. in a way I couldn't. And on rare occasions, the narrator is the other way. He is omniscient. Like, and you feel like, oh, this guy is in control of everything. And so trying to interpret that and understanding that is a mind game that you play with yourself <laughs> while you're playing the Stanley Parable. And that's fascinating. No matter what mood or tone Brighting takes, he always wins me over. Um, without the narrator or maybe with a different narrator, this would be a much different experience. He is central here. I can't even imagine anybody else like doing the voiceover of this game. And this game would just feel so empty without uh, Kevin Brighting I doing agree. that. Yep. The Stanley Parable is very straightforward to start, but eventually you never know what the game is going to show you or do to you. It feels like I'm on this ride and the game is just going to keep showing me things and I can never in my life predict <laughs> what those things will be. Uh, the humor in this game is more than just setups and payoffs. It is like set up a joke and then pay off the joke and then another setup based off of that payoff. And then we're going to do another payoff and then another payoff. You know, <laughs> things build on each other and it all works because the humor is so carefully measured and paced. And there were often times where the narrator would be talking about something really funny just as I'm entering a corridor. And by the time I walk all the way down that corridor, his line is like perfectly wrapped up. And so there are tons of moments where the amount of words that are being spoken and the amount of time to walk from point A to B are just perfectly Perfect. timed yeah, out. That does like they thought about that. They it's thought very about those satisfying. things. Yes, it's orchestrated. It is very intentional in that way. And the game is also like commenting on those behaviors, uh, both like of gamers and game development in nuanced ways. I really appreciate that. The Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe also reminds me of that monotony of the corporate office work, how days can sort of blend together into weeks and months and years. And this might not be like an overt intention. It might be like more secondary to talking about some of those behaviors of gamers and game developers, but it was just sort of a wild exploration of that topic. And even though we might see that in other media, I found it fresh in a game form. Mm -hmm. And so I I just really liked that. Uh, What I didn't click with as much with this game is just kind of like what you said. I just don't know how much I haven't seen, how much I have completed isn't clear. This is a difficult game for completionists. Um, if it were an intuitive game for completionists, I'm not sure that would fit with the point of the game, yeah, too. So I, I understand, know. you know, I get why. And I also get why that's informing some of the content of the ultra deluxe add-on stuff. Yep. Uh, the loop can get a little tiresome when you're listening to that voiceover over and over again, like when Stanley leaves his office and it's the, you know, Stanley left his office and no one was around, you know, you hear those kind of same lines over and over and over. And um, again, I get the point is that we're in this loop over and over and over, but that doesn't keep it from being tiresome. Um, And then it has a lot of replay value, but it also doesn't have a lot of replay value (laughs) in a really paradoxical way where I want to keep just changing one little aspect of the game to get a new ending. So 
I am seeing new content, but I have to see a lot of the same environments and like do the same actions before that to make that one change to that one variable at the end of the chain. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after I see that like really crazy ending I've never seen before in my life, I already know that that exists. And so I don't know if I can go back to the Stanley parable and just like replay it and have a ton of fun, you know? Yeah. Um, so overall, the Stanley parable, ultra deluxe, feels singular as a game experience for me. Um, it has this intense awareness of the player and the world of video games, and it's commenting on everything you do with a really awesome narrator. It's full to the brim with surprises and endings that shock me. The Ultra Deluxe Editions are worthwhile and add to the experience without completely overriding the base experience, too. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. Called it. I think if I were to replace the original with this game in my top 100 indie games list, it would be somewhere around number 30. I oh. think it would I think it would move up that far. And 29 and 31 are Oh, um 29 is Slay the Spire, 30 is What Remains of Edith Finch. I think it would then go 31 Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you talked about this game's making you laugh. It's funny. It's very difficult to achieve humor in video games because we're always in control of what happens. We're choosing to move forward or we're choosing to press this button at this certain time. And comedy is all about timing. Right. And so uh, I'm just curious, like, how do you think the Stanley Parable succeeds at, at humor in ways other games don't? I think that it gets to, by by breaking the fourth wall as much as it does and in the ways that it does, it gets to... Uh, get at things and comment on things that um, are just impossible to to mention in other video games. So I think just by, you know, taking on what a video game is and why it's silly and funny and, and how playing games is silly and funny at times. Yeah. Uh, and what we sort of do to the economy of video games, because there's this whole section where it talks about reviews of the Stanley Parable and and it just it gets to do things that other games don't get to do and it, it it's a riot. Yeah, if you're referencing the moment I'm thinking of, you're talking about the Steam review uh reference. Uh, uh pressurized, pressurized gas. Air, yeah, pressurized, pressurized gas. Yeah. Uh which is one of my favorite moments from the <laughs> the Ultra Deluxe add-on. Um but I think what, you know, goes an extra step in making it work is it is reveling in like the self-deprecation. Yes, like, it's, it's showing you. That's these, my favorite thing to do. So good. It's <laughs> it's uh, showing you all these negative reviews, like cut and paste from Steam, yeah. and put into this game as these like large billboards that you're reading. You're, you're seeing people dump on the game in the game, and it's fully embracing that and like turning it into this new layer of comedy. So like, yeah, I wrote that down as an example too. There's just going back to noticing your behavior, there's a lot of subversion with moments. You're doing these loops over and over again, yes, but it will change things and accelerate things and like skip things that you've done a certain number of times and only, then comment only on a it. couple of things. Only a couple but... of things. But like when you go to the boss's office and you have to input the code to the door and you have to wait for the narrator to give you the codes that you put it in, you might learn that and then on a subsequent playthrough, you go to the office, you type in the code before the narrator has gotten to that point and he's talking. And then he goes, oh, I guess you're just going to put it. In. I guess Stanley put in the code because he was getting impatient. And then, 
you know, as a result, he's going to play music for you and yeah. force you to sit there and yeah, wait. Yeah, because your anxiety is too high. Yes. yes. And then on top of that, the next time you might go into the boss's office and the narrator might just go, yeah, Stanley, let's just open this door for you because you're obviously <laughs> impatient. And so the door just opens. You don't even have to go to the keypad. Yeah. And so there are moments like that that I know, like you said, I know he's talking about me, not Stanley. Um, in the ultra deluxe add-ons, there are collectibles, right? Yes, there are these there like are. little Stanley. Did you do that part? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's commenting on things in the environment too. It's talking about those little Stanley figurines. Um, they're called figlies at some point. That's yeah, the, eventually. that's the name I'm going to use, but, um, the act of finding the figlies becomes so meta and it's commenting on obsessive behavior of gamers who just want to collect things for a trophy. And the whole idea is that the game won't give you a trophy until you get these figurines, like how a lot of trophies work. But then you find like this room in the office where the whole boardroom is dedicated to the figlies. Like, where are the figlies? <laughs> we got to find this is Operation Find the Figlies or whatever. And uh, then you go on this like crazy trip of an experience to like find the figlies and then find them again and then find them again. And the game is just layering meta element on top of meta element. Um, did you feel seen by that? Like I did. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh, to be honest, it was one of my favorite parts of the game. <laughs> they added collectibles. You're like, you will not get a reward for getting yes. all these collectibles. I know. And that it's just the intrinsic value of completing a task. And I did it and I got that intrinsic value. I'm like, you're dang right. I love this. Yeah. More collectibles. Did you, uh, find them all yourself? Uh, Did you like use the clues in the boardroom where it said had the lists? I found one or two before I even knew there were clues. Okay. I did look up the rest because I was running short on time. Sure. Um, I did the same thing. But yeah. Uh, So yeah, I actually ended up really loving the collectibles were (laughs) in there. And I didn't totally get it. They they are a part of another, are there a domino and another reward later? but I didn't get a, a direct trophy for that, and that's fine. Like I, yeah. I still had fun collecting the collectibles, and yeah. so they called me out, and I was like, you know what, man, you gave me the collectibles, and I'm happy. They feed your addiction while yep. also laughing at you. Yeah, um, and then that reminds <laughs> that me. Sounds so rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this game is rude, but I'm like chill with that. Yeah. I'm good with it. And then that's just reminding me of the rest of the achievement lists. Um, What are you getting out of this achievement list? Like, what are your thoughts as you look at all these weird tasks? Because, of course, with a game so experimental, um, it's going to have trophies that make you do weird things. What are you seeing here? Um, So a lot of them are just, like, silly, but, like, reasonably silly, like... You can't jump. No, seriously, we disabled it. Like, <laughs> that's a fun trophy. Getting a trophy for getting another trophy, that's hilarious. That's so I good. love that. Yeah. My favorite one has to be click on door 435 times. Yeah. So what do you do with for this one? You click on door 435 times. And, and then, then <laughs> the narrator's like, oh, I see what you're doing doing you're gonna click on the door five times well i don't think that's enough how about you click on it 10 times and then you do it and then you're like okay how about 50 times that didn't feel quite right so let's do it 50 times he's like you know what let's go do something else let's go click on 416 
five times. Yeah. And then he, he and just he has you running around back and forth, and, it, and he's getting like increasingly more excited. He's into and it. He's he like, loves it. You see him in real time, like become addicted to it. It's like so you are. great. It's he does so the good. same thing with the figlies, and ah, oh, I love it. And just because the game calls out that meta element so much, this just it's so appropriate that this happens. And, you know, the first time I read this trophy description, I thought it was like, I thought it said, click on a door 430 times. Oh, yeah. So I was just like sitting there clicking. Gotcha. Any door. Yeah. Gotcha. But uh, uh, either way, it's, I had a great time doing that. I love how you wasted all that time doing that. (laughs) Did you actually get to 400? Were you counting? No, I wasn't counting. Gotcha. I was just tapping the button. Gotcha. But there, yeah, all the trophies are silly. There's one where it says, don't play Stanley Parable for 10 years. Yeah. Which you can obviously cheat and I did. Right. But you can change your your like system clock. Yeah. And that's how everybody's doing it. But I actually uh I watched this YouTuber uh named Mystic Ryan. He does lots of PlayStation news and um he is legitimately doing this trophy. He is waiting 10 years. Nice. Like he chose to do that. I hope fully he, aware you can skip it. I'm so like. scared that they're gonna take away the digital version from him. Oh, I I don't know. I think he's probably safe. No, he's probably safe. Yeah. But it could happen. But yeah, he's like, you know what? In the spirit of this game, I already have like tons of platinum trophies. I don't need to artificially get this one. I'm just going to, I'm going to wait 10 years. And I think he like put an event on his calendar. 10 I years applaud from that. Now. So some people do it legitimately, which I don't have the patience for. I did it in limbo. Yeah, you did. Well, <laughs> No shortcuts for that. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one that's noteworthy is you have to play the Stanley Parable for the entire duration of a Tuesday, which basically means you have to put 24 hours of game time into this game only on Tuesdays, which is just so bizarre. Daft. Why? <laughs> and so uh, this is another one you can kind of cheat, but uh, by like setting your game clock to be a Tuesday, any Tuesday on the calendar. But you still have to have the game like sitting there running. And actually, as we sit down, my game is running at home and I have my game set to Tuesday and I'm going to get this trophy in like another 20 hours. Nice. So there Congratulations. you go. Congratulations. Yeah, I you. forgot to do it last night. So it'll... <laughs> you could do it anytime, yeah. but it's so weird. I've never seen that before. Somehow, somehow there are people that are like getting everything done in an hour or less. And I don't understand how they're doing that, but. I don't know. Maybe like abusing the clock somehow i don't know but you'd think the minimum would be at least 10 years because of that <laughs> who knows uh disco cola what surprised you about the stanley parable i know we've talked about a lot of surprises but what sticks in your mind as a thing you just did not see coming well so first there's a couple of branching paths that you can access like you said in this game you can't jump but you can access other paths by gravity, by not jumping, but also jumping. Mm. Uh, didn't expect that. Didn't even, like, the first few times I played through it, didn't even consider trying that. Seemed impossible with the skill set I was given. Um, so that's a that's a surprise. Uh, but the main surprise is that the first ending I ever achieved was just, like, so unlike others. And it also gave me so many clues into the rest of the game or so many like insights into stuff that I had never seen, couldn't even imagine were a part of the game. And so I kind of felt like the first time I got to the end of the loop that I was kind of cheating, that I had access to so much data that would help me throughout 
you know, the rest of it. I didn't internalize any of it, so it didn't heck and help, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't matter in the end. Right. But um and it it's just so different from other endings uh in a couple of ways too. Again, being vague as I possibly can. Are you able can. to give a name to the ending Ooh. just for context? Uh what is the name of that ending? Give me just a second. Because it sounds like you're either talking about the museum ending or the confusion ending. Uh, museum ending is yeah. probably what I would call it. I okay. would assume it's the museum ending. I don't think I know the confusion ending. Because the confusion ending is another one that at, by the end of it, you feel like you have insight into the game when you really don't, but it's giving you a peek behind the curtain more so than other ones, okay. at least in the first like maybe hour of the game for me. This is um, probably the museum ending. Yeah. Yeah. I did not get the confusion ending. Okay. So confusion ending actually leads to, it's one of those endings that leads to other endings, I believe. And like some humorous moments that I really encourage you to like go seek out, like look up how to do the confusion ending. It's good. Okay. Um, Surprises for you. So yeah, every ending is a surprise in a way, but it's the one that sticks with me is the skip button segment. (laughs) Dude, this whole sequence gave me this feeling of like existential terror, basically. that's fair. Crazy. Nothing else in the game feels like this. You gotta play it. (laughs) You gotta play it to understand it. But I think it's fair to say it represents the passage of time in a very horrifying way, a very lonely way. And this is a, this is a, game that's already quite lonely so i guess that is another connection we have to our secret games is like bonfire peaks was a very lonely and i guess this game's lonely but um two other big surprises were references to two games mm. outside of this game mm-hmm. should I, we mention them i i ventured into that section of the game yes should we mention what these are Ah, uh, sure here's a fun fact too in the original stanley parable these two games were two other games. Oh, so I'm curious. In this game, so again, this is kind of a spoiler, but again, it's one of many endings. Basically, if you disobey the narrator a ton of times, he will get frustrated by that and try to give you what you want, but like in a really catty way. And he'll basically put you into the game Firewatch, <laughs> which is a completely other game by a completely other developer. And you're in this like perfect replica of the game Firewatch, which is a first person adventure game. You're in the tower. I immediately like recognized it and I, my mind was blown. I didn't know that was in the game. And then he does the same thing with Rocket League. He puts you in the game Rocket League. <laughs> now, there, the context behind that, what happens before and after is also a spoiler. It's also like very distinct. In the original Stanley Parable, these two games were two other games, and it's because the engine for the Stanley Parable versus Ultra Deluxe changed from the Source engine to the Unity engine. Okay. And so Firewatch and Rocket League are Unity engine games, but when the original was in the Source engine, these two games were instead Minecraft and then Portal. Wild! Yes, what? Yeah, so they had to change that because the source engine changed from the original to the Ultra Deluxe version. I just think that's crazy, dude. Oh, that is crazy. And I just imagine, like, how did they do that? Did they just ask for permission and then recreate <laughs> themselves? Did they get, like, source code somehow? Or did they just right. look at it and do it by eye? Any way they did it is impressive to me. And then the last thing I wanted to bring up is just that... um 
if you like this meta element, if you like what's going on, if you like this writing from Davey Reedon, there's another game that's on our list of approved featured games called The Beginner's Guide. Okay. And The Beginner's Guide is sort of a quasi sequel. Maybe it's more accurate to just call it a follow up to The Stanley Parable from Davey Reedon. And it is kind of a game that's in conversation with this game. It's meta as well, but in different ways. Okay. And uh, I can't wait for us to play it. It is um, exceptional, I think. All right. So Noted. Uh, just so you know, those two games are very much connected in some way. At the, at the very least, they're kind of written by the same person. So is there anything else left unsaid about the Stanley Parable Disco-Cola? No. Uh, however, I didn't get to thank you for my new limerick um, because I was so focused yes. on, on the it on is, my gimmick. It is a poem. I don't know if it's technically a limerick. Oh, sorry. I but yeah, I am not well read. I don't know all this stuff. That's all good. But um, it's actually a haiku. No, I'm just kidding. It's not a haiku either. <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> yes. Uh, five five seven or yeah. There's a, five seven you can, five. You can do five seven five, or you can do another one. Yeah. Haiku is one of those two, though. Yeah. Anywho, that's our review of the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe. You can play it on PC, Mac, Linux, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X and S, and Xbox One. Disco Cola rated it a 7.5. I rated it a 9. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg. Our art comes from Onimochi. Underplayed is on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at underplayedpod. You can find me in those places at bopo. That's B-O underscore P-O. I'm also on the GG app where you can see my game lists like my top 100 indie games. And I am at Disco Cola on Twitter, Twitch, and the GG app as well. Look for us uh, as a collective on Twitch as Underplayed Podcast. We uh, maybe will have already played Operation Tango by the time this episode has come comes out, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> that's where we play co-op games. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah, so check us out. Catch the next co-op game, maybe, um, for next season. Next time, we'll have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be Titan Souls, an action-adventure game developed by Acid Nerve. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.